Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. you Jesus hallelujah hallelujah let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11 and we're going to look at this passage that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks Verse 33 of Hebrews 11, of course, there's much that one could focus on in this passage. But let's look at verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises promises stop the mouths of lions and of course we've used as a title for this series if you will and we're going to give another installment of that here tonight we've talked about through faith through faith and that's what I would like to use as a subject but uh, I'm going to concentrate on this particular phrase or couple of words here wrought righteousness wrought righteousness. Let's lift up our voices to the Lord and let's pray together that the Lord would bless in this service. Dear Lord Jesus, we're in need of you again. We depend upon your anointing. We desire your help, your strength, your touch, your blessing in the remainder of this service. I'm praying, God, that you would move and challenge our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you and worship you for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Clap your hands to him and give him praise right now. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you so much for standing in. You may be seated. I was thinking today of just how rich uh, the word of the Lord is. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a student of it. It doesn't matter how many times that you've read it. It does not matter... Uh, how many times that you've heard it taught from or preached from. The Word of God discontinues to reveal things to us that are pertinent to our present situation and our lives. And I'm thankful for the rich Word of the Lord. And how many is thankful for the Word of the Lord? And there needs to be a healthy appreciation in your life and living for God. A lot of people have problems living for God because they do not have a love for God's Word or understanding of God's word, and therefore it's very difficult and challenging for them to be uh, able to please God and do what God requires of them because they've never developed that. They've never been able to uh, get a hunger and maintain a hunger for the word of God. I was reading about a French poet by the name of Jacques uh, Redin, I believe his name was, And he had a peculiar habit. He would walk every morning through the streets of Paris. 
And each day he did this with the intention that he would find something new, even though he had lived there all of his life, that he would find something new uh, that he could look at to behold. And this would in some way keep his interest and his love for the city uh, alive. And so this was something he did every day. And as I thought about that, I thought about you and I, and if we could approach the Word of God like that and our prayer lives like that, that every day, each morning, I'm waking up with a desire. I'm looking for something new. I'm looking for something fresh. I want the Word of God to feed my heart and soul. Now, in the last uh, couple of weeks, we've talked about through faith how that these champions of faith, how that they were able to subdue kingdoms, subdue kingdoms. And we focused on that the last couple of times. Uh, but moving on from that, and that's a very important subject because I believe that kind of dovetails into what we would call spiritual warfare. I believe it's the will of God that we take territory for the Lord. But beyond just that, the scripture here says they wrought righteousness. In the few short verses of this section of Hebrews 11, there is listed here no less than 10 outstanding feats and miracles. And the Bible is very pointed in telling us how these accomplishments were done. It says that this happened through faith. It didn't happen through human ability. It didn't happen because somebody was endowed with talent. It didn't happen because there was some uh, other event that transpired to cause it to take place. But it happened because these people, through faith, was able to see these miracles in their lives. This underscores the importance of faith in you and I's spiritual life and how that we've got to keep it alive. And one of the things mentioned in verse 33 is these, these people that we see are special in exercising their faith for their mention in what we call the hall of faith, that they wrought righteousness. And we often quickly move past those couple of words and we move on to these more sensational and dramatic events that the Bible talks about in this passage that are listed here, but let's not just slide past these words, but let's, let's delve into them and find out what they mean. The word wrought comes from the Greek word ergasmine, which means to toil or labor. It has to do with actions or sometimes what the Bible would call works. And I realize that people... People today, even religious folks, insist that God is unconcerned about works. They argue that, that sin, that evil deeds, and the works of the flesh are really meaningless. And uh, so long as you are a believer, as long as you have faith in God, then it doesn't really matter how you live otherwise. However, the real truth is, is that God does care. He does care about how that we live. And the word wrought embodies the concept of commitment. These people were committed, in other words, to doing right. 
and living righteously. These people had their mind made up no matter what uh, was going on currently in their world or circumstances, uh, the scenario that they lived in, that they were not going to live according to the situation, but they were going to live according to God's Word, and they wrought righteousness. I think a lot of times when we read the New Testament, and uh, you've heard this before, but let me just underscore this. I think a lot of times when we read the New Testament, we assume that these people had it easier than we do. That obviously times have gotten harder, uh, more difficult, more challenging to live for God now than it was then. But that is simply not true when you study the history of things as it was in the early church. And you find the persecution. Is anybody here really outside of, of maybe just uh, emotionally persecuted or verbally persecuted? Has anybody ever been physically persecuted for living for God and serving the Lord? If so, I would say very mildly compared to these people that we read about in Hebrews 11. Most of us are not resisted very much for the things that we believe and the convictions that we uphold in comparison to the people that walked before us, even the people in the pioneer days of Pentecost in America, in comparison with them, we've got it pretty easy, I would say. And I would have to go on and say that that has not really helped the church, but that has probably been a detriment in a way to the church because uh, we have learned to become way too comfortable and uh, we've become so familiar with things that we no longer uh, struggle through and, and have to deal with the challenges of living for God. So people don't love it and appreciate it as much as they should, therefore. I think that when you have to, you have to really struggle to understand, you have to really struggle to be able to stand up for what you believe, you'll have a, a healthier appreciation for it. And when you have to get in this book and dig it out and, and not depend on somebody else to make the argument and not depend on somebody else uh, to, to talk about the doctrine uh, that is in the Word of God that we all hold so dear. But you have to dig it out for yourself. Well, uh, you'll appreciate it more. When you have to pray things through and you have to get down on your knees and say, God, I need your grace to help me and to strengthen me and I need your mercy to be with me and I need you to protect me and I need you to walk, watch over me. The more that you walk by faith or are forced to walk by faith, the more you will appreciate the things that God has given to you in way of revelation. Amen. And, uh, you know, this is where a lot of people, third and fourth generation, uh, find themselves... Uh, in trouble because they never had the first generation uh, appreciation and honor for the things that we uphold and the things that we love so dear. And I think there's a day coming. There's a day coming if the Lord should tarry that uh, it's probably not going to be as easy as it has been. And there's going to be challenges. And I really be do believe that... Uh, I know we live in a very prosperous time, a very prosperous, even the poorest among us are wealthy in comparison in a lot of places in the world. It's great to be an American. It's great to live, and I don't apologize for that 
that type of nationalism. I don't apologize for being thankful that I live in this country and have the freedoms that I have and that I can choose to come here and worship God. I don't think we ought to have to apologize for that. And we ought to remain appreciative. But just as you see it happening in society where people are taking those things for granted, you also see it in the church because very few of them have ever had any tomatoes thrown at them. Very few, if any, have ever been ridiculed for what they believe. Very few, if any, have had to endure any kind of hardship or sacrifice. But we come here, and I'm so thankful that we stand on the shoulders of those pioneers and that we're able to come here and uh, to enjoy uh, the years of, 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 of their sacrifice. And it's just been uh, from that time until this, it's just compounded to lead to where we are today. And so we stand on the shoulders of giants and we are in this building because there was people that went before us and had a vision and a sacrifice to bring to this point. And if they're in that great cloud of witnesses, I don't want to let them down. But I want to keep running with this truth. I want to keep believing this truth and living this life. Come on, does anybody feel like I do here tonight? Hallelujah. Praise God. And uh, these, these people were committed, and it's going to take commitment in this hour to live for God. Uh, let me repeat that again, because some of you didn't act like you got it. It's going to take commitment in this hour to live for God. Whoever thought that you could come in and the pedaling was going to be easy, and you're just going to be able to coast, and, and you're just going to be able to get by, and oh, it's just, uh, uh, you're going to have to be committed, and that commitment at certain points is going to be tested. But let me tell you that the good far outweighs any negative. The positive is a whole lot better than anything that would be on the other side of the spectrum. I want to tell you this is a light affliction, as Paul said, comparison to the afflictions that people have to endure in sin without God. I have a comforter. I have a grace giver. I have a merciful God that I serve. Hallelujah. So anything I face, I don't face it by myself, but he walks with me. And he said he would never leave me nor forsake me, but he would be with me as long as I'm in this world. That's the book. That's the Bible. I stand by that promise tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. But these people were more uh, committed to doing the right thing than gaining worldly acceptance. They were more committed to doing the right thing than protecting self-interest. They were more committed to doing the right thing than even escaping uh, persecution that they know is impending upon uh, their actions and, and the things that they would do if they continued to be faithful to God. These verses tell us that they're were certain people who made up this august body of believers who simply, they made this list, not by, and I know that there's several that we talk about often here, and, and again, we, we just kind of gloss over this wrought righteousness part, and we talk about how that Moses chose rather to suffer the afflictions with the people of God, and we talk about Jacob leaning upon the top of his Cain and worshiping the Lord. We, we talk about uh, Abel offering a more acceptable sacrifice. We talk about all these feats of faith. But these people that I'm talking about here tonight, they made this list simply by living right. And if you don't do anything else and you just live, you don't have to have your name in lights. 
You don't have to sing a special. You don't ever have to get up here in this pulpit and give a sermon. You don't have to do any of that. If you just live right, someday you're going to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You're going to make the list, in other words, because you lived righteously. You lived according to the Word of God. And we simply don't hear enough about that. We, we like the sensational. We're given to the dramatic. But uh, just living right is still something that God requires. And talent doesn't, doesn't subtract from the need of that. Uh, a person's giftings does not negate or does it whitewash the need for integrity in their life. And the need to tell the truth and the need to live a godly uh, and wholesome life. Can you say praise the Lord? We live in a world that, that a lot of people get a pass because of their talent or because of their ability or because of their money or their last name. And I, I want to just tell you, we need people that have faith in God and His Word to live righteously and know that, you know what, I may face repercussions in this world, but I'm not living just for this world I'm living for a heavenly reward. Amen. And that takes faith sometimes to face opposition. That takes faith sometimes to stand up for your conviction and what you believe. Uh, we need preachers and leaders and saints of God that are committed to righteousness, unafraid uh, if they may be marginalized by a wicked world, courageous enough to stand uncompromising for their convictions in the face of pressure to cave in. Unafraid to defy societal prescriptions and remain apostolic Pentecostal. Amen? The reason I say apostolic Pentecostal is because there's a lot of people trying to claim to be Pentecostal that used to shun the word, but they have now taken the word on because they realize that it's a popular, popular idea and thing but uh, there is a distinction between that and apostolic Pentecostals. They choose conviction, or these folks chose conviction, and we need to choose conviction over comfort. Amen. And what's easy. A little later in this same book, and I want to I read it to you in chapter 13 and uh, verse 10 down through 16, uh, the writer here, and again, we know that the writer of Hebrews is obscure. We, we, we don't know exactly who it is. We have some good ideas, and there's a lot of educated guesses on whom it might be. Some people think the Apostle Paul. Others think uh, different individuals. But uh, suffice it to say that it is in your Bible, and it was written by inspiration of God, so therefore it's worthy for us to delve into and to understand. And the writer here explains the reproach that one will likely endure in order to serve God to the fullest. Beginning there with verse 9, Be not carried away with diverse, diverse strange and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace and not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied Therein, we have an altar. Aren't you thankful for an altar? Whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. 
For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt without the camp. Now this is a reference. He's often in, in these passages of scripture. He's making a comparison between the Old Testament uh, and the way things were done in their relationship with God in the Old Testament. He's making a comparison between that and what we have now in the New Testament or the New Covenant. And the way that he's making this comparison here is he's talking about the order that the priest would go through and how they would give a sacrifice and he'd present that blood. But then the, the body, he said, of those beasts that were offered uh, on the altar in, in that sacrifice were burned without the camp. And also you know that how that there was uh, uh, often there was a, a, a goat that one was sacrificed and, and then there was a live goat that was led away outside of the camp and he was led to uh, the wilderness as far out as he could go with him and, and basically he would turn him loose and that was called the, the scapegoat. And what it was is that, that goat, uh, he would impute sin uh, upon that goat and turn it loose in the wilderness and it would never return to the camp. It would get lost out there in the wilderness. And so that was the way, in, in one sense, that sin was dealt with in the Old Testament. And the Bible says here that our Lord, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. In other words, the crucifixion didn't take place within the city limits. But it was done outside the city and across the Kidron and over there on Golgotha's hill outside of the city. And those of you that have been there, you know this. And let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. He took sin, he that was no sin, took sin upon him and bore the reproach of sin so that you and I could have the opportunity to be redeemed and to be free from sin. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. We don't have to deal with the sin issue. He's not asking us to take the reproach of sin, but he's, he's asking us to identify with him and be willing to be committed to him. Willing, willing to stand up for Him. Willing to give our lives fully to Him and consecrate ourselves fully to Him and not be ashamed of Him that, that took on the shame of sin, that was willing uh, to humble Himself as the form of a man and uh, into the form of a man and, 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 and humble himself as a servant and come and pay the price that he paid for our soul's redemption. And you and I, we have been afforded an opportunity because of all of that. You and I have been afforded a chance at salvation because of all of that. And we're in this room because he was willing. The Bible says that he... He, he, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. Why? Because of his love and his concern and his compassion for you and I that we would have a chance to live for him. And the only thing that he asked of us is that we would be willing to identify with him, to take on his name, to live by his word and not be ashamed to do so. 
Hallelujah. Sin is what brings shame upon people. Sin is what brings heartache upon people. Sin is what brings destruction into people's lives. Sin is what brings reputations down. Sin is what brings dishonor. The way of a transgressor, the Bible said, is hard. But I'm thankful that I know a better life and a better way. And I have hope. And matter of fact, I can have a life more abundantly. It says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's, that's what God asks of us is to be thankful for what he's done. But to do good. Everybody say, but to do good. And to communicate Forget not, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Praise God. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that that is unprofitable, not for them, but for you. Praise God. So there's something about bearing, uh, you know, I hate to use this word because it's so unpopular, but it's still biblical to be willing to go outside of the status quo, to be willing to go outside of the societal norms and what, what this world deems as, as being popular and culturally acceptable and being willing to take upon us uh, that mark, as Paul talked about, the mark of the cross, he said, I bear in my body the mark of the cross. Does that mean that he, that he endured what, what Jesus did at Calvary? No. But there was, a, there was a certain stigma that came with serving God is what he was saying. And he was willing to take upon him that stigma because he realized the blessing of doing so was far greater than the acceptance of anybody out there in this world. Can you say amen? And when we minister on subjects like this... Uh, The biblical character Daniel always comes to mind. Daniel was carried away into captivity to a heathen land that was called Babylon. His captors not only changed his geography, but they changed his apparel and they changed his diet. And they wanted to strip him of his godly identity. But they could not change his commitment nor his convictions. He was 500 miles away, according to my studies, from any teaching priest. Yet he still stood for the precepts of God's word. He was a long ways away from Jerusalem, but he still prayed towards Jerusalem three times a day. And God gave him favor and began to elevate him. And this created jealousy. And this created uh, among his political adversaries a desire to sabotage Daniel and keep him from ascending any higher within this Babylonian kingdom. And so they began to debate as to how they were going to sabotage him, how they were going to stop him how they were going to resist him. And the Bible says in Daniel 6 and 5 that they made this statement. This is in the NIV version. It says, 
we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Unless we can get some kind of law or edict that is signed by the king that hinders him from fulfilling one of the convictions that he has in serving God. That'd be the only way that we could charge him because he's basically perfect. He lives righteous. You can't put your finger on him in any other way, but we understand that this this weird way of worshiping and this God that he serves is different from the gods here in Babylon and the idols or pagan tree that we're involved in. And so the only way we can really... The only way we can ever really get him in a bind is to get between him and his God. And so we're going to have this, and they devised this this decree or edict, and they brought it to the king, and it sounded good, and it appealed to the king's pride because they said, hey, if there's any worship going on around here, any prayer going on, let it be given to you for the next 30 days. And... That sounded good to him. He couldn't think of a reason why not to do that. And forgetting about Daniel, forgetting about this man that he evidently had respect for. And they thought for sure when this was signed into law by the Medes and the Persians, by the law of the Medes and the Persians, which meant that it was basically irreversible. They, they, they couldn't reverse it. They couldn't change it. It was done. Not even the king could go back on it and change it. It was finished. That when they'd done this, they knew they could tighten the noose at this moment, if you will. Because they knew Daniel. They knew something about Daniel's character. Even his enemies knew. Even his enemies knew that he was a man of prayer. Even his enemies and his detractors knew that we cannot, we cannot keep him. If there's one... Achilles' heel that he has is he's not going to cave in. He's not going to give up. We know him. He's not going. They had no, they had no, they did not assume, they had no inclination that he would, he would do anything other than what he had done up until this point. And that was that three times a day he would open his windows towards Jerusalem and he would pray unashamedly unto his God. And cry out to the Lord. And they said, you know, he's not going to stop doing that just because we signed this decree. Because we know he's a man of faith. And so through faith, he went to that window like he had always done. And he cried and prayed out to his God. And the decree said that you would be thrown in the lion's den. And spend overnight there. And this is exactly what was done. And this... This was something that grieved the king's heart. And so he was early the next morning going down to the lion's den. And he cried out to Daniel. And Daniel answered him when he said, if, asked if he was alive or if he could hear him. He said, oh king, oh king, I, I, I live forever. I, I want you to know that uh, I, I'm still here. The Lord's protected me. He's watched out for me. And in verse 22 of the same chapter, chapter 6, it says, They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. In other words, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned about being innocent in your sight. I wasn't concerned about, 
keeping my popularity with you. I wasn't concerned about your acceptance because I understand if I've got the favor of God, if I can serve the Lord and please the Lord, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of things that may be up and down with you and you may not understand about me and you may change your mind about me, but as long as i got the favor of God, Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, there's, there's a peace that comes with that understanding. There is a, there's a settledness that comes with that understanding. Because people sometimes will come and go. People and their opinions will change. And, and a lot of times as a leader, I've noticed this, that people's appreciation or their respect for or whatever depends largely upon how they feel and, and whether or not you, you had to deal with something in their life or preach to them about something or teach to them something that they did disagreed with and so you you got to learn early on that I find my acceptance from God I'm concerned about him being uh, 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 him appreciating me and him uh, knowing that I've pleased him and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about doing his will and I'm not so concerned about the ebb and flow of people and how that goes with them I got to do the will of God Hallelujah. And that was the attitude of Daniel. Someone says, how can I live? How can I live holy in a filthy world? Well, according to what we read tonight, you can do it through faith. How can a person stay morally pure in a perverse society? The answer is through faith. Having more faith in God's word. Having more faith in God's protection and his promises that are in his word than you do in the things of this life. How can I abstain from drugs and alcohol in a world that has normalized their usage? I'll tell you how you can do it through faith. How can I give 10% of my increase to the Lord when there's such a demand and such pressure upon my finances. i tell you how you can do it. You can do it through faith. Matter of fact, to not do it is an indication of the lack of faith in God's Word. How can I dress godly as a man like a man and, uh, ought to dress and a woman ought to dress? Especially when our society has blurred the lines of, of distinction. Can I tell you, you can do it through faith. I said you can do it through faith. How can I abstain from the reprehensible entertainment of Hollywood that mocks God, that advocates fornication, that advocates adultery, homosexuality, and transgender causes, that advocates evolutionism, that advocates disgracing the family values, that advocates and promotes violence, I'll tell you how you can do it. You can do it through faith. Through faith. Psalms 101 and 3 says, and this is written by man after God's own heart, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. I'm going to tell you, a person is going to see enough evil in this world without setting it before them and entertaining themselves with it. Can you say amen? How can a man keep a godly haircut and shaven face and not give in to the rebellious spirit and rhetoric that is raging in this world. I'll tell you how. It's through faith. 
It's through faith that you can live by 1 Timothy 2 and 8. It's through faith that you can live by 1 Corinthians 11 and 7. It's through faith. How can a woman refrain from trimming, cutting, or dyeing her hair and wear modest clothing that pertains to a woman according to Deuteronomy 22 and 5 and Proverbs 31 and 1 Timothy 2 and 9? I'll tell you how. It's through faith. How can a person keep a good spirit and a righteous attitude in a world filled with hate, wrath, and anger? How can a, how can a person live according to the Word of God in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, uh, where the Bible talks about uh, people that, that were so filled with rage and anger and rebelled against the things of God and, uh, and, and, and worship the uh, creation more than the creator, as it says in that chapter. How can I live righteous? How can I live for God as I'm supposed to? I'll tell you how. Through faith. How does one refrain from gossip and destructive whispering against a brother or sister in the Lord? Ungodly conversation in this tabloid world that is so uh, into the sensational and the dramatic and, and wants to know the latest juicy thing. I'll tell you how you can do it. It's through faith. How can a person keep joy, the joy of the Lord, and refuse to become bitter by circumstances of life and all of the attacks and things that come against a person? I'll tell you how you can do it. It's through faith. How can a saint of God make it for years serving the Lord without wrath or malice or envy or strife? You can do it according to this passage, through faith. Righteousness as I said at the onset, isn't just something that you do, or it's not just something that you don't do, rather, but it's something that you perform and you act out every day of your life. And that's something that's on the inside of you that you walk out by example and say, God, if you'll help me and if you'll give me the grace to do it, because I can't do it in myself. My flesh has the propensity to go off, go off, track. It has a propensity to live unrighteously. I've got sin that I was born into and I live in a sinful, unclean world. But if you'll help me, I can live pure. If you'll help me, I can live righteously. If you'll give me the grace and if you'll extend to me mercy, I'll live for you and I'll serve you. You don't do it just in your flesh and in your own ability, but you do it through the help of the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you. You've got the Holy Ghost. That's how you can live holy. That's how you can live righteous. That's how you can make a difference in this world. Can you say praise the Lord? When it was said they wrought righteousness, it was speaking about something they did, actions they took. It isn't customary in our world. But Christian charity is still biblical. Can somebody say amen? Everybody know what charity is? It's love. Christian love is still in the Bible. And it's still a part of being a Christian. And I understand our love for the truths of God's word and our uncompromising commitment to those things. 
But the balance for that, or I would say the, the healthy balance for that, is that we continue to embrace those things with the love of God and show the attributes of the love of God in our lives. It appears that some people look at showing charity as weak and uncool. And to many, to condescend, as the Scripture says in Romans 12 and 16, to those of low estate, or to comfort the feeble-minded, or support the weak, or to be patient toward all men, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, uh, that, that's, just, that's, that's not something that is acceptable to them, or that's below them. But I want to tell you, that's the true biblical example of Christianity in the Word of God. And so, let's just look at Romans 12. Romans 12, and we'll start there with about verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now, that establishes something right there, to live righteous, to be committed and have convictions about you, that if you... You, just because you show love for somebody doesn't mean you lost your convictions. And you don't lose your convictions in loving somebody else. But you stand in a firm place of truth and you reach to help them and strengthen them. Don't let them pull you this way, but you pull them over to an area of safety. I'm going to just stop right here and say the very worst thing that you can do is to win... People are under conviction. When people are feeling conviction come and God is dealing with them, the worst thing that you can do as a saint of God is to go gather them up and say, Oh, you little poor baby, I know you got preached to tonight. I know it seems so awful that you'll have to, you'll have to obey the Word of God to make it to heaven. It seems so, so, so unfair that you, you would have to endure preaching like that. I, I know that, that you're not used to that. That's the worst thing you could do. Let the Word work in people's lives. Let the Word deal with their sin and, and bring a consciousness to them and point it out to them and help them to understand there's some things that I need to correct. In other words, don't be a sob sister. Don't, don't get somebody and let them cry on your shoulder when they just really don't want to do right. They just really don't want to line up. They just really don't want to straighten out things in their life. But at the same time, in love, keep reaching towards them, pulling them to this side, pulling them over here into correctness of what the Bible says and what is right in the Word of the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord? And so we're going to we're going to love from a perspective of abhorring evil and cleaving to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Boy, that just goes against the grain of most people in society today, doesn't it? Everybody thinks about self. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In other words, in your business dealings. So, well, I don't own a business, but you still have business that you take care of. Do you pay your bills on time? Do you, uh, well, I'm going to have to walk this one alone, I guess. You don't get many amens when you get on practical stuff. 
You know, if I was talking about something that was dramatic and sensational, people would be swinging from the chandeliers. But you talk about really when it rubber meets the road, living for God, and that's what it's going to take, isn't it? Isn't that what we're going to be judged according to this word right here? And this is what it's going to take. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints. That means if you see a brother and sister in need, try to help them if you can. Given to hospitality. In other words, be kind to everybody. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Oh, that's easy for most of us. Rejoice when you see the blessings of the Lord upon your brother or sister in the Lord. They get a new car. Don't say, my God, why did they get a new car? And I didn't get a new car. <laughs> see what I mean? You've you got to walk this deal alone sometime. Rejoice with them rejoice. Weep with them that weep. This this week we went down to a, a funeral in Mississippi, and uh, we we endeavored to be with a family. And the funeral was long. I mean, it was real long. But you know, I can't imagine the pain of losing a 22 year old son, and and being no warning whatsoever. There's no it was an accident that took place, and so it'd be hard enough if he died of a disease. Or, but to wake up one morning, the night before, had him with you at church, and and everything was uh, just his whole life before him. You thought, and then to have a policeman walk up to your door and knock on your door and and notify you that he had been killed in an accident would be a tragic thing. And so, about 650 people or so gathered in a unfinished sanctuary uh, to show honor and respect and to weep with those that wept. Sometimes we don't know if we can empathize with somebody that's in that state that if we ever have to go through anything and hopefully it's never that bad that we would have somebody come and support us. And so we sow in those kind of things. It's, it's making an investment because you may need the support of somebody else. It's good to help somebody. When you're, when you're standing, help somebody that's fallen. When you're weak or when you're strong, help somebody that's weak. When you're having difficulties, help somebody. Or, or when somebody's having difficulties, you, you help them from your standpoint uh, of being in a place where you can. And so you might find yourself in that situation or in that particular moment when you stand in need. Can you say praise the Lord? So we weep with those that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. In other words, don't, don't think you're better than somebody else. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. There's always something you don't know. There's always something that you hadn't figured out. Be humble about things. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give, rather give place unto wrath. 
For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. Boy, that's, that's tough medicine, isn't it? If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to overcome sin and evil in this world by debate, by being angry and red-faced and people's business and trying to tell them all the areas that they're wrong in and and, and, and wagging our finger in their face. But I'm going to tell you, we can be an example of righteousness. And we can stand up for what's right with a spirit and an attitude that is right and say, God, I want to live for you and serve you and be an example. And when they see you not fold under pressure, when they see that when, when you had an opportunity to, to be angry, you didn't show and express anger and frustration. You didn't, you didn't go off and cuss. and You didn't go off and, and join in with all of those and what they normally do when they have trouble or when they are challenged in some way. But you stood for what was right. That is the witness that, that people are, they want to know, are you genuine? Are you really what you believe? You The best thing you can do in the sight of your family members that don't live for God is to be consistent and to serve God and be steady in serving the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord? Let's lift our hands to him. Why don't you stand with me?